0: Randy Coleman was a grown man who spent his life either in a bed or in a wheelchair. Now, I can't remember the cause of his disabilities, but I do remember that he couldn't really speak, and he couldn't feed himself. He couldn't do anything without the help of his family and my mother. Mom was hired by Randy's family. Randy, at the time, was a, was a grown adult. But he was hired, or she was hired by his family to take care of him during the day. And I remember that we all loved Randy very much. But as a kids, we especially loved going to Randy's house. You see, Randy's brother was a wealthy banker and they lived on many acres on a farm and they had a nice big house and his son adam was my age so we would run around the farm and build these massive castles out of hay bales and play nintendo all day it was great it was a blast we had a we had such a good time but i always remember going over to their house because it was so peaceful it was such a peaceful place to be because the family loved one another They took care, they took great care of Randy, and they helped my family out in a great time of need. So this is very different from some of the homes of some of my other friends that I knew. Matt's dad was loud, and he cussed a lot. Chris's family also seemed to have some very different values than my own family had, And Greg's family was very nice. We all got along very well, but they were dangerous. They were always riding motorcycles and three-wheelers. This is back in the 80s when they made three-wheelers. They were running them through the, the woods all the time, and we were never sure if I was going to survive a visit to Greg's house. So I was always comfortable at the Coleman's house, but a little bit on edge at some of these other homes. You see, the culture of a house is determined by its inhabitants, isn't it? The culture of a house is determined by its inhabitants. This week, we continue a sermon series on the core values of Mission St. James. And throughout this series, we've been looking at our vision by using the metaphor of a house. We first laid the foundation in the first week with biblical orthodoxy. Last week, we explored the the floor plan or the walls through Anglican spirituality. And if you remember, what we said then was that the walls of our house make up the rooms, especially the dining room where we all eat together. That's the Lord's table, Holy Communion. The living room where we all pray together. That is the daily office, morning and evening prayer. And then, of course, our bedrooms, where we meet Jesus in our private prayers. Well, this week, we're going to look at the inhabitants of Mission St. James, which determines the culture of our house. This introduces our third core value, which is communal discipleship. It is, the de- it, is the- it is to the degree that together we resemble our Savior, Jesus Christ, that determines the culture of our home. So to explore this, we're going to look at our gospel text uh, that was just read, especially verses 1 through 7. So last week, if you remember, we were in John chapter 10, where Jesus said that he is both the door to the sheepfold and the good shepherd. The good shepherd, of course, whose voice the sheep knew intimately. Between chapters 10 and 14, where we are today, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and entered Jerusalem for his final week on earth. He was then anointed by Mary for his burial, and he was conspired against by Judas. Now that Judas has departed from their company, Jesus began preparing the rest of his followers for his departure or for his crucifixion. And that happens here in uh, chapter 14. So today's passage is packed with theology, but I want us to think about two features of this text as we consider the implications of communal discipleship. Two features. One, Jesus' relationship to the Father, and two, what he means when he says, I am the way. So throughout this passage, Jesus is emphasizing his relationship to the Father. He says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. The Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son, and so forth. Well, in a few weeks, we're going to be observing a Trinity Sunday, so I'm going to spare you the deep uh, Trinitarian theology right here. But for our purposes, it's sufficient to note that the Father and the Son are so united that to look upon the Son is to see the Father. That is, nothing that Jesus says or does communicates anything for, foreign to the character of God. Or as the writers, or as Paul says, he is the image of the invisible God. That's Colossians 1.15 Or the writer of Hebrews in chapter 1, verse 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus Christ is a unique person in the Holy Trinity who is simultaneously one with the Father. So we have a plurality in unity. And thus is the mystery of the Holy Trinity. So why is this important? Well, it's because the life of Jesus is the life of radical obedience to the Father. The life of Jesus is a life of radical obedience to the Father. In other words, you and I can look at Christ to answer the question, what does it mean or what does it look like to be a human being? Of course, this is no small question in our own time and culture, is it? You're all very well aware of the many ways the world tries to define humanity or personhood or human nature. For example, a strict scientific evolutionary theory supposes us to be one mere species among many. What we call humanity is nothing more than an advanced evolutionary phenomenon. Others might locate human beingness, if that's a word, in the sum of our various desires and passions. Your humanness is found in the variety of sexual interests and personal identities, and on and on it goes. You could fill in those blanks. But as we dedicate ourselves to Scripture, we become increasingly familiar with the humanity of Jesus, the one who Paul calls the second Adam, and the reason he says this is because the first Adam fell into sin and all that have come after him are born into that Adam. But Jesus is the second Adam who doesn't fall to temptation, who is perfect and lends the, sinful, the sinless life, and we are baptized into him. So that's why Paul calls him the second Adam. So Jesus is the example of how all human beings are to inhabit God's creation. By looking to him and by following him, in short, by becoming his disciples, we are also inhabiting God's creation as we were designed to do. This is what it means to be a human being. But this comes at a significant cost because we inhabit two worlds at once, two cities, so to speak. Our citizenship is in the city of God, but we live out our lives in the city of man. And while all the citizenship of all baptized disciples of Jesus is in the city of God, we're at odds with the way, aren't we? We are at odds with the way that we are to inhabit God's creation. It's dangerous, which is why the second feature of our text is so important. Jesus is the way. Now, remember that this chapter, chapter 14, all the way through John chapter 17, constitutes the upper room discourse. So Jesus is preparing his disciples for what is about to happen. And although he has warned them many times that he is about to be crucified, they're still not quite ready to accept it. So in verse 4, he says that the disciples know the way that he's going, to which our friend Thomas says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Now, I'm right here with Thomas. Jesus has this way of talking about one thing while often meaning something else, doesn't he? Not in a contradictory way, but by use of parables and metaphors. And Jesus' response in this passage has a sort of a tinge of frustration. You can hear it. Apparently, three years should be plenty of time for us to understand him. And that's when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, this is, of course, a very famous verse, and I have no desire to replace what you have heard or learned or understood about it. I just want to say at the very least that Jesus is saying here is that he is about to go to the Father, that he will prepare a dwelling place for his disciples, and that he is the way to get there. Here we have a trajectory, don't we? The disciples are in one place, and Jesus is telling them about another place a place they are to go. There's an end to human beings. That is, there is an intended destination, which we learn from this passage is the Father's house. And it's being prepared for many inhabitants, that's you and I, and the means to get there, the way is Jesus himself. So discipleship is the journey along this way, following Jesus in every possible way, living a life of redemption, a life of truth, which leads to life itself. The disciples have been following Jesus for three years. They have watched him perform miracles and signs, healings and deliverances. They have seen him face off with the Pharisees. And face death many, many times. It must have been dangerous to follow Jesus. But they hadn't seen anything yet. In less than 24 hours, they would see the way of Jesus lead him to his cross, to his suffering, to his passion, and to his death. So... To be a disciple of Jesus means that we conform to his life, even unto our own death. Our vision at Mission St. James is to be a house filled with such inhabitants. Disciples who daily conform their lives to the one who suffered for the sake of others, including ourselves. Our hope is that together, our community would be characterized by the character of our good shepherd, Jesus Christ. That like him, we may lay our lives down for others. Like him, we might deny our own desires, our own rights. That others might experience the grace of Christ, just as we have experienced the grace of Christ. Being a disciple of Jesus means that we abandon our plans, our own definitions of human flourishing, our own identities, and take up our own crosses. It means that we sit at his feet and wrestle with the words that he speaks to better understand who he is and who we are made to be. And it means that we sit as students under the scriptures rather than as judges over them. For if you remember from two weeks ago, Luke chapter 24, when Jesus says all of the scriptures are about him. And we want this for mission, St. James, not because Jesus is a tyrant who loves rules and laws, but because he knows better than we ever will what it means to be fully human, to live as God intended us to live. Beloved, there are many houses out there and some of them scratch all our fleshly itches. Others are hostile and inhospitable, but some are tents of peace like Randy's house where the weak are cared for, the vulnerable are provided for, where the fatherless are taken in, where the children flourish and marriages thrive, all because the Son has gone before us and his life his crucifixion his resurrection and his ascension into heaven to prepare us a room in the father's house and we get to be a foretaste of this promise and the foretaste of this reality we have the opportunity to live lives of repentance and obedience so that we could live lives of forgiveness and reconciliation in the world and to be little images of jesus little icons however imperfect we may be. And we get to do this together as a community, as a church, as a house. You see, no one follows Jesus alone. And we'll often fail to live up to this ideal. I know it. But that's what discipleship is. We keep repenting getting up and turning and continuing on the way. And as we do this, our house will become a home, a place for the wanderers to dwell, and it will be a place to be known, and a place of hospitality. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would do this for Mission St. James, that you would continue to reveal yourself to your people that our hearts would burn within us as we learn your word, as we submit to you the will uh, of your father as you did. Help us to understand and know that will. Help us to take advantages of the tradition we found ourselves in, that we might grow closer and closer to you and become representatives, ambassadors for you in this place. That this would be a home not just for each one of us, but a home for those who have not yet found it, a home for those who desperately need it. And Lord, we pray that you would um, fill us with a spirit of hospitality. Make us faithful disciples. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.